you are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Neon Dynasty continues to impress. The Wandering Emperor, Jingataxia's Progress Tyrant, Kaito Shizuki, and Fable of the Mirror Breaker have all made an impact in the last week. We take a look at two new ways to build transmogrified decks, plus testing results with Commune with Spirits. That's all coming up on today's brew session. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome back to our Sunday episode of Faithless Brewing. Today we have me and Emmy. Hey. How's it going? Pretty great. How about you, Damon? I can't believe you look so fresh after the ski trip. Looking fresh, looking renovated, rejuvenated. Oh, yeah, yeah. The goggle tan uh, was not too bad. I used sunscreen. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a mistake I have done more than I should. Not wearing enough sunscreen. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting older. Apparently, I'm at the age where if you want to do Botox, you want to start like around your mid 30s. <laughs> uh, it's like works better the earlier you start it. And it's Wait, like, wow, do I want to do Botox? Uh, 34. Oh, you don't look a day over 30. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, you got to think ahead with these things, you know, like. <laughs> you got to keep that in mind. You got to get ready for the Botox. You're going to just jump into it. Well, I mean, it's just one of those things. If you want to get it, you have to at some point do it right uh <laughs> you know there's a lot of like big life decisions where you can think about it all you want but at some point you just you know I, i'm thinking about buying a house at some point in my future i don't know when you know maybe years from now but at some point you have to just like actually stop thinking about buying a house and just buy a house <laughs> you run out of time to think you have to do eventually yeah yeah that that moment of thinking converted to doing uh, curse and magic sometimes, you know, you, you think of a deck list and then all of a sudden you're in the queues. <laughs> you're playing a tournament and you have to make the list. You have to present the deck list. Yeah. So what do we have on the plate this week? So let's start with an old brew of ours that, fit, that were featured by Davius Minimus and his new somehow amazing 10-0 with Tameshi Bloom. So when we recorded the episode, we discussed how the deck was a bit stuck on the 3-2 bracket and it was really hard to get it out of there. And all of a sudden, Davius is like, guys, I got a 10-0. I went 5-0, 5-0 in a row. With a small, sidey, sidey, small announcement saying, please don't try my first deck list. <laughs> <laughs> so the first 5-0, Davius went ahead and played a 66-card main deck. Which seems insane but it's even more crazy when you find out the reason is because he wanted to sideboard into a Yorion deck post in game 2 so my first thought when I read this it's like okay so he has like 4 or 5 lands in his sideboard right please tell me he has 4 or 5 lands on his sideboard no he does not so Davius was playing 26 cards in a 60 card 26 lands in a 60 card deck and in his 80 card deck post sideboard that has become a four-color midrange Yorion pile for some reason. 
So, somehow he got his 5-0, he says he has no idea why, he stopped sideboarding after round 3, so he played round 4 and round 5 as a 66 card main deck without any sideboard, and still got the 5-0. Yeah, a great result and glimmers of madness that made us be genius. I mean, this uh, mid-range transformational sideboard, what an idea. But that one seems like it wasn't the best part of the list. The best part is the, the list itself and the, the run that Davius Minimus took. So how does this combo work? It, it takes a while to understand it. So Tameshi is the th it's a really simple three-mana creature that has the line of text, has the first paragraph that is the least relevant, at the beginning of your end step, if you have bounced any permanent to your hand, you draw a card. That's pretty simple. And the second line is, pay one white, bounce a land, return a land from your battlefield to your hand, and pay X to return an artifact with cost X or less from the graveyard to the battlefield. Artifact or enchantment. So the combo is quite simple. Get a Lotus Bloom into your graveyard, and now all your lands tap for 3 mana. Your lands become a Black Lotus. You get to pay a white, bounce your land, get back Lotus Bloom, repeat. You start netting two mana out of every single of your top lands. You start making lots of mana, lots of mana bouncing your lands. And then you play a Cultivator Colossus with all your green mana you just generated. Cultivator Colossus, seven mana XX or XX equal to amounts of plants you have, lets you play all the lands you control in your hand and draw a card for each one and keep the loop going. So you just go ahead, play like all the lands you have in your hand, play them, play them, enter, they go and enter the battlefield tap. So let's say you bounce five lands. Now you play back your five lands, draw at least five new cards, and any new lands you drew and keep it going, and now you have ten mana. With that ten mana, you can work it for a new Colossus that's going to have a few more lands than the last one. So you're going to draw seven, ten cards and keep the loop going, keep it going. Eventually, you're going to have enough mana to Eladam Riskol for a 15 mana Emrakul, or just um, Final of Devastation, the green finale for X equal 15, get any creature in your game and attack with all your creatures being 16, 16, 16 haste. And that's gonna win you the game practically every single time. Yeah, so it's not one of these, you know, Heliod Ballista deterministic kind of two steps in a loop combo or whatever. This is a non deterministic confusing combo but one of the strengths of these things is that it makes the deck play more resiliently where you just get to play you know cultivator colossus like is part of the combo but it's also just like it's a magic card right yeah the, so the deck is a pile of tutors with the 12 cards you need you have wargate you have ladam Skull, you have finale and you have goblin engineer wargate is likely the worst of them as a magic card, but it's three mana get your Lotus on board, so that's at least interesting. Right, right. But that's what the deck means when I that what the deck works. When I talk about Davius about what was the plan, his answer was brute force your wing on in. Play a Tameshi, they kill it. Final of the station for a Tameshi, they kill it. Wargate for a Tameshi, they kill it. And you just keep playing cards until one of them sticks and you try to brute force your way into the win. And the reason for his 10-0, he says, like, after the Lurus ban, a lot of decks just became worse, and people were trying, like, not as competitive or not as tuned decks in the leagues, so that really gave you a place to just grind with your Bruce that you have already tuned. Because a lot of people are just gonna try new stuff. Like, if you play a modern league right now, you're gonna face Karth the Lion a lot, more than you expect. 
for reasons I don't comprehend. But you're going to Faith Cartelayo, for example, which didn't happen a few weeks ago. There was a period where you would face Siege Rhino <laughs> with Seance. You know, if you want to talk about Blast from the Past cards, uh, seeing play in modern leagues after the ban of Lurus. It, it is true. These format shakeups tend to lead to people being like, well, I have my favorite pet card or pet deck. You know, will Murfolk finally be good? No. But they try it. <laughs> yeah. used to whatever. And then they shelve it and they go back to playing, you know, the best blue-red Murktide or whatever. Uh, we find out it's the best deck. Yeah. So the the best deck right now is going to change for a while, but the big stars are still there. You're still going to face for color. You're still going to face Murktide. But you're going to see, at least I hope for a few more weeks, people just testing what they love. And that's just beautiful. It's the best part of Magic. Yeah, yeah. When the Death Shadow lists aren't all the same 60 cards. <laughs> uh, and we should figure out what the new best list is. There's a lot of Kaito playing around. Like a shocking amount of Kaito. And I don't hate it one bit. Just seeing the new cards finally finding their time to shine in the sun is beautiful. Like, I love just people testing what they love. Yeah, another card that uh, we've been seeing more of that will be part of our lists to try this week is uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which if you watch the set championship, like you saw a lot of people playing this card in Historic or Alchemy. I honestly could actually not really figure out which game matches were which. But this is a new card from Neon Kamigawa, two in a red for a saga. The first step is, uh, chapter is, create a 2-2 red goblin shaman creature token with whenever it attacks, create a treasure. Chapter two, you may discard up to two cards if you do draw them any cards. Step three, exile the saga, then return transformed, where it comes back as a reflection of Kiki Jiki, uh, who is, of course, the original mirror breaker. And the reflection is a 2-2 Goblin Shaman, non not a legend. Not a legend. One tap, create a token as a copy of another target non-legendary creature you control, accept it as haste, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. So basically it is the Kiki-Jiki uh, ability, but with a, a one mana activation cost. Yeah, and it has put, especially in Pioneer, it has become pretty, pretty huge as a card. Pioneer, and also in formats like Historic. But in other formats, it fights with Season Pyro. In Pioneer, where it doesn't have it like it's direct competition, it's just flowing freely. Yeah, Ari Lax had a tweet today uh, saying, quote, pretty sure 30 to 40% of Season Pyromancer decks in Modern should just play Kiki Jiki Saga instead. We haven't seen it too much in Modern yet. It's been more of a hit in Pioneer. But it makes sense. Like, the card is sneakily powerful. Unlike Season Pyromancer, you don't get the kind of raw card advantage where if you have an empty hand when Chapter 2 hits, you don't get to draw cards at all, whereas Season Pyromancer, of course, puts you up two cards. On the other hand, like, you don't need that because you just get the cards in the form of your first 2-2 Goblin Shaman token, and then secondly, the uh, Reflection token. Or, no, it's not a token. The Reflection of Kiki Jiki uh, backside. It feels like a token because, like, if if this card existed like a year ago, it would have just go to the graveyard and make a token, right? So it just feels like a token. It's just like the flip side of the saga. Yeah, yeah, with the Neon Kamigawas, yeah, flip sagas. I I sent you a picture on. You will see it below the season the, the tweet, which is like what what we were discussing a few minutes ago, 
if you ever get two of them, you can just make a lot of copies on your opponent end step and tap and make a lot of copies of whatever you want. So basically, they can't target themselves, but they can target another non-legendary creature. And since they aren't themselves legendary, Kikijiki's legendary, but the reflection isn't, you can target another reflection of Kikijiki. And now we have a virtual Kikijiki combo, <laughs> except, of course, each activation is one. Exactly. So here we have a picture where Karatedom went ahead and just went like, on my opponent's end step, pay five mana, make five copies of the Mirror Breaker, untap, make five copies of my Voldaren Epicure, deal five damage to my opponent's face and win. Which is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen in Pioneer. Just get lethal by having seven Voldaren Epicure on board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just beautiful. Yeah, so I think we'll be seeing more of this card. But yeah, so now let's get on to our brew session. Our card of this week is Transmogrify, which we've done before. I don't think we have actually done Transmogrify. We have done Creativity, I think, maybe? Okay, we've definitely brewed decks with Transmogrify before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, David has a fascination with the card. Yeah, yeah, the card is, is arguably... Uh, it's not quite like a pillar of Pioneer, but <laughs> it's like a, you know, some less important feature of a house's design, you know, like a molding. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a piece of molding in Pioneer. Uh, that's all I have. So, yeah, what shocked us the most that we were discussing is how the, the thread shifted into Shingi Taxi. Like, what you're trying to get now every single time, instead of, like, an agent of treachery, like they used to back in the day, it's Shingitaxias. Right. So let's go through some of these new cards. Before that, though, let's go through Transmogrify. Okay. For those who don't know, three in a red, sorcery, exile target creature. That creature's controller reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a creature card. That player puts that card onto the battlefield and shuffles the rest into their library. This is seen play in Pioneer in some of these, like, fires your eye index for a while now with interesting packages but what calls it to our attention this week is because we have a couple new enablers or hits from Ian Kamigawa uh, the first one is Jingataxius Progress Tyrant which is 5 blue blue for a 5-5 five five, but we're not going to be paying the 5 blue blue we're transmogrifying for Legendary Phyrexian Praetor that Whenever you cast an artifact, instant, or sorcery spell, copy that smell. You may choose two new targets for the copy. Triggers only once each turn. And then also, whenever an opponent casts an artifact, instant, or sorcery spell, counter that spell. Triggers only once each turn. So the question is, as you can easily see for anyone that plays modern, this deck is not trying to just resolve a transmogrify and win. It's not like you're getting an Emrakul or like Serra's Emissary or Argon of Cruelty. Singitaxias is more of a fair mid-range card, sort of. And what you're trying to get is like insane amount of value, like imagine copying an Essigas Chariot and just getting four cards at the following turn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that it is a soft lock piece uh, while also being, you know, ramp up your game plan. Uh, progress Tyrant, indeed. It <laughs> stemmies your opponent's progress while uh, enabling it on your side of the battlefield. Well, also, I mean, 5-5... Five, five, you know, 5-5 five, five creatures, no joke. The counterspell aspect of it makes it have a, a weird, you know, variant on ward where they can't just cast a single removal spell unless it's a solitude, but we're playing Pioneer. Everything becomes Reality Smasher. 
Yeah. Well, worse though. I mean, they actually have to, you know, use the mana on their first spell. Oh yeah, uh, everything becomes Skeeter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you have the five five, and they cannot even wrath without using a spell previously, so it becomes like really taxing on the resources, and you're just doubling on yours, so you can get ahead really fast. Even copying something like growth spiral or expressive iterations just gets out of hand really fast. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you can't really leverage doubling up your transmogrifies. Uh, <laughs> just get more five facts that sacrifice. But almost. Almost. Yeah, so there's another new card that is a really good hit with transmogrify in the form of careful cultivation. That's, I think, the biggest new card that it has seen. And I think that's which, what will make it like a real deck. Like, what will we push it over the line? Yeah, so what this card is, it's two and a green for an enchantment that has literally no text, but it also has one and a green discard careful cultivation, create a 1-1 one, one green human monk creature token with tap add green mana. And so what this lets you do is wait until your opponent's turn to end step, then you channel your cultivation, you untap with a human, and uh, you hit your third land drop or whatever, and you transmogrify uh, the human who, who faithfully provided you the mana, and now you have a Jingataxius on turn three. And you made a 1-1 one, one uncontrollable on your opponent's sense step. That's huge. The fact right. that it cannot be countered, the fact that you enter your opponent's sense step, like even through a Teferi, you can effectively transmogrify through a Teferi, which is like insanity. Yeah, well, of course, in Pioneer, there is no more time raveling. <laughs> of course, it's banned. But I mean, like the sort of effect, even your opponent is like holding sorcery, sorcery speed removal and a counter and a lot of combinations, you just go like, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Is that one of the reasons why the transmogrified decks fell from favor in Pioneer? Because Teferi got banned and, and they were these kind of Jeskai Fires type decks? Exactly. They were like these four color sort of Pioneer piles of Alien that relied on Teferi to protect the combo. And with Teferi there, they were one of the decks that exploited it the most. Mm-hmm. So they sort of slowly fell out of favor, but careful cultivation might be the card to bring them back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just to review David's deck list a little bit more closely, uh, we have the core package being these four Transmogrifies and two Jingataxias, but then we have uh, four Opt, two Flame Blast Bolt for early digging and interaction, four Careful Cultivation uh, as our kind of all-star you know, interaction with Transmog, three Ghost Spiral, two Fire Prophecy to help uh, clear out Jingataxias in your hand. If you draw both, you would otherwise have no way to get rid of them. Four Expressive Iteration, two Solendi Vision, one Valkyrie Awakening, another way to get them back in your deck. Four Essica's Chariot and four Shark Typhoon as your, uh, or between two and four Shark Typhoons as your way to make creatures. Uh, also make tokens that can uh, be win conditions in their own right. You know, Jinkataxius is a very strong card, but it's just a 5 5. It may not be able to win the game on its own. Uh, but if you start doubling up your chariots. Yeah, it's gonna. Win your game fast. Also, the fact that at turn three, like a lot of against a lot of decks at turn three, Essica's Chariot, if they're like they're playing around the combo, they can't really use the resources like as sparingly as they would want. And sometimes turn two, um, ramp with any of your ramp spell like Rose Spiral, and if you turn three Essica's Chariot, it's gonna put a game winning clock on your opponent, forcing them to like play around that. Like solve that issue before holding up interaction. Yeah, it is. Such a good card that it got nerfed in a re- uh, alchemy, right? Yeah, what I don't remember exactly what they nerfed on it. 
I just remember it got hit by a nerf. I think it just makes one cat token. That would be a pretty big nerf. I don't actually know if it sees play in, in alchemy. I have I sadly lack the, the alchemy knowledge, and I didn't get to see the, the championship this weekend. Yeah. It's fun to reference it, though. I mean, this card is so good, it got... It, it had to get nerfed. Yeah, it got nerfed in alchemy. That's how good it was. We even played it in modern on our Sahiri Rice deck list. Like, it's one of the better aggressive artifacts we can see. And probably the best to copy and such in the whole formats. Yeah, yeah. So, taking it from there, David started to innovate and went ahead and played a Grixis Reanimator Transmogrify with one of David's favorite staple cards, Platform Bones. Yeah, I don't know if he really uh, innovated or just went back to, back to his you know, old ideas. But that said, these Blood for Bones decks are always, they're, they're so much fun to play. I don't blame him one bit for wanting to try these out again. Blood for Bones is a really fun card, that's undeniable. So this time he dropped the, the green, went back into Grixis, changed the... I think it actually back for Ancient of Treachery, which was the original thing to get, because this deck can actually get multiple copies on board via Transmogrify or via Reanimation. So what you get being non-legendary is actually pretty relevant. And as ways to make creatures in order to sacrifice slash transmogrify, he's playing Kaito, the favorite of the Mirror Breaker, as we have discussed, an amazing card, and the Modern Age, which is a saga on the third step that if looked late on turn 2, by turn 4 it's gonna transform, so you can transmogrify it at the same turn. It's both a creature and a looter for both your reanimation and your transmogrify plan, so it's like the perfect card for this sort of deck, the same as the favorite of Mirror Breaker. A creature and a way to discard without putting a creature itself. Yeah, as a quick reminder for those of you who haven't memorized these Neon Kamigawa, you know, draft role player cards, the modern age is one in a blue for a saga. The first two chapters are draw a card, then discard a card, and then chapter three is where it flips to the backside to become the infamous Vector Glider, which is a two three flyer. Pretty pretty mediocre card overall, but the thing is that uh, anytime you have the ability to get a creature into play without having to play a creature in your deck, that's just what you're looking for with Transmogrify. And then the fact that it's a discard outlet also means it works well with Blood for Bones. And so this card actually, like, you know, draft role player, it may also be, you know, a cornerstone of this deck. Exactly. That's exactly what, it, what I was aiming for. Just fills every purpose you look for in a card in this specific sort of deck. A way to discard, a creature that's not a creature. It being an enchantment has no upside, but it's just a really good way to fulfill, get closer to what you're looking for. Also looting, allowing you to find your payoffs. Right, right. And of course, the Fable of the Mirror Breaker is similar. It lets you both loot your Agent of Treacheries into the graveyard, and then also... In this case, the backside can either be transmogrified or alternatively, the backside can copy Agent of Treachery. Uh, so, so perhaps another key card in this deck. Now, the card that I'm less sure about is Kaido Shizuki, who I think nobody really knows. Is this, is this card good in general or not? Is this just like a good magic card? So as I was, this is starting to see some modern play, actually. So it's a good card. Like the passive ability of it surviving at least one turn is extremely relevant. Because that means, like, you can play it, loot, and make sure it's going to survive to make a 1-1 on your next turn. That's pretty big. 
Don't you template Norway with with you you cast it, then you down tick, and then you plan to uptick your next turn? Yeah, but if you're trying to transmogrify or blood for bones, you need to make sure you will have a one one. Hmm. So you can play it, loot, discard your ancient of treachery, and on your next turn make a one one that you can use for any of your plans. If you're worried about basically sorcery speed removal on your your ninja token, exactly. Okay. Or with Blood for Bones, instant speed removal as well, because you can just buy news, get priority, Blood for Bones. Doesn't it fizzle Blood for Bones, though, if... Uh... No, it's an additional cost in Blood for Bones. It's not a target. Oh, yeah, yeah. So in the case of Blood for Bones, going plus discard Ancient, make sure they cannot kill it. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, I haven't casted Blood for Bones in a while. It is an additional cost. <laughs> uh, Transmogrify targets, Blood for Bones doesn't. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's pretty big. So Kaido also allows you to play a bit of a fair plan. It's a looter that's make one once, and the emblem is sort of a win condition if you somehow can get it. For anyone that doesn't remember, the minus seven means whenever a creature you deal, a creature you control this combat damage to an opponent, you get to tutor a Dimir card into the battlefield. So a blue or black creature. So you start getting agent of treachery with every connect. Yeah, yeah. If that, I don't think that can ever happen, but it- yeah, never say never. Um. Yeah, so the rest of the list is this kind of Grixis control shell with considers, fatal pushes, thought seizes, dread bores, drown of the lock. Uh, David already has done a test run with it. He got a 2-3 result. Uh, sounds like one of the matches was pretty close. Against Spirits, he just got out double by the by opponent, which is a sad way to go. And then he got crushed by a Sodius control, which... As we're going to see on a run below, has actually shifted its deck building a lot with addition of another Kamigawa staple, Wandering Emperor, which is a card I have fallen in love with in every single format I have tried it. David has a couple updates to this list. We'll have uh, both, I think, the original list and the updated list posted. Uh, in particular, from the testing, he found that Consider just like didn't quite do enough. Uh, he needed a bit more gas. Also, Drown in the Lock didn't always work out, especially when your opponent would bring in cards like Rest in Peace against your, you know, Blood for Bones reanimation package. And so his proposed updates were basically cut the Drown in the Locks, cut the Considers, add two Thoughtseize, add Shark Typhoon. Uh, sounds like solid iteration on this list. Yeah. I think, yeah, and Zero Shark Typhoons, it's a bit shocking to see. Consider his set was underwhelming, and I can really see Shark Typhoon just taking that spot. 24 lands is more than enough that you don't need a country to hit them consistently. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one thing that David also left us with his notes is uh, this rant that uh, Emmy alluded to. So he wrote, quote, a format note, blue-white control has changed its matchup spread significantly with the addition of the Wandering Emperor. It used to be you, you bring your Thoughtseize and your Narset, etc., and you grind them down. But Wandering Emperor attacks on a whole different axis. It's not blue, so Mystical Dispute is bad. It pressures your Planeswalker, so Narset doesn't work as well. It has Flash, so it's impossible to play around. And so it is a huge leg up for blue-white against mid-range lists, which is pretty much all <laughs> David builds. <laughs> uh, and basically, no one... He, he has a... You know, this is a rant, right? No one likes to brew, so they're all playing this uh, stock config... <laughs> And they just run over uh, David over the weekend playing these commune and uh, Blood for Bones transmogrify list. Uh, and so th- these lists used to have, I-, I think, a decent game with blue-white. But somehow the Wandering Emperor that you'll see played as like a one or a two of in modern blue-white uh, is played more as like a three of or, or maybe a four of at this point. 
in the pioneer lists. But yeah, when the emperor gives control decks a way to shift here as nothing I have ever seen before. Like I'm not exaggerating. Even in modern, in the four color mirror, if your opponent just says go and just gets like an end step wandering emperor, you just feel the pressure pumping up and they never tap down. That's the shocking part. They get to develop a real clock, a real threat, and instant speed on your end step. And you're just wondering, like, okay. And if you counter it, they just stand up and play a five mana death, right? So you never feel like safe. Right, right. One of the best feelings in the world is when you untap with your planeswalker, and it used to be you have to kind of like set up for this with like a Jace plus Force of Will and like some clever Supreme Verdicts to clear things the path. But now, yeah, Wandering Emperor doesn't really ask that much of you. Uh, you can instead cast Wandering Emperor into Supreme Verdict, or use the downtick to remove their you know one of attacker, and then they have no creatures left. Yeah, that just happens. Like, I had the dream scenario the other day. My opponent just tapping down on turn 4 for Reality Smasher, and me just Wandering Emperor Exile. Got a removal, got a Planeswalker develop, and my opponent has no board. It's just like... Thanks? Yeah, yeah. It basically just... By reversing one of the problem, like problematic play patterns of Planeswalkers, where you play your Planeswalker, and then they kill it with a creature. <laughs> Instead, they play their creature, and you kill it with your Planeswalker. Um... Yeah, I can understand uh, David's frustration. Uh, he ends the rant by saying, quote, banning Luris so far looks to have made the format worse. Uh, which is a really interesting perspective. It, it didn't seem like it really needed to be banned in Pioneer, but Watsi did just maybe for consistency or something. Um, certainly it saw a play, but not in as dominant a fashion. And now if you go to MTG Goldfish, you'll see, you know, blue-white control uh, sitting at like a 14% meta share. <laughs> So Lurus Disappear has made control better at dealing with midrange stuff. So we have a midrange player sad about the result. Who would have said so? Right. And then we have in second second place in the Pioneer meta per Goldfish is the uh, Remnants of the Lotus Field deck, uh, which gets to play f two Thought Distortion <laughs> to just a big uh, screw you to the blue-white decks. Uh, yeah, and so... Agro is definitely down a bit in uh, Pioneer. And if Agro goes down, Midrange tends to go down, as Midrange tends to like, hunt Agro for a living. Right, right. So we see a sad David haunted by the results of the new meta. Yeah, yeah. So out of these two transmogrified lists, uh, which one are you feeling? I am not a combo lover. I just love a mid-range plan with a combo, so I really, really prefer the Temur Cultivation plan that at least has a realistic plan B. Like, if my opponent is filled with removal, I can play a good game with Express Iteration, Essigas Chariot, Shark Typhoon, or the all-in on the combo that's featured in the Grixis Reanimator one, right? Yeah. Oh, I gotta say, I, I like the Teamer one a lot. It also just, like, it's more pleasing to look at. You know, you look at this, like, <laughs> Grixis deck, and there's, like, Dreadbore with a dude getting his chest blasted and Thoughtseize, and a dude's going crazy, and, uh, you know, it's maybe it's just, like, the, the choice of cards that made it to the front of his screenshot. And then you have the Khan Cultivator, which is a 1-1 one -one Monk. You have the Growth Spiral, which is a beautiful art. You have Essica's Chariot. It's, like, the complete opposite. Yeah, and Jinkitaxis isn't the most, you know, pleasant-looking predator around... But like the color scheme of the card, like it's a really the kind of pleasing art. Coming away soothing, while Innistrad in Dreadboard or like State of Thoughtsies are not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, 
sadly there, there's more to magic than just the pure aesthetics of the cards but i do i do like the look of the the teamer list can we just play the x with cards with we, we can only play the x with card arts we like like that's a brewing episode we cannot play card decks with ugly cards yeah <laughs> that's just the whole goal the most beautifully aesthetic working deck wins I really actually started to like my um, four-color Kahira control deck that I played in paper because it's just like the borderless solitudes, they look really cool. And then like I got some of the borderless counter spells from MH2. Oh, those look lovely. I actually quite like how my four-color, like most cards in the four-color modern deck are actually quite beautiful. Solitude, Fury, but the yeah. Fairy and such are actually looking quite nice. Omnath also looks beautiful sometimes. Not the not the showcase Omneth, please. No, show, no showcase Omneth is beautiful. What? I, oh, I don't like showcase Omneth. Wait, yeah, showcase Omneth is beautiful. I love the showcase Omneth. It's just, but I think it just perfectly shows what the card is supposed to be, right? Like just raw energy in the four colors of mana. Hmm. Unless, at least that's what I get from seeing it. Like it's not even like physical form. It's just like floating mana. I don't know. Maybe I just have poor taste. That could also always work. Never disregard that. No, I think it's... The art is fine. I just don't like the frame is my problem. I agree. I agree on that. The framing is is not nice. It's like a little bit too angular for me. I mean, you can just get the... No, it only has one frame. The borders like on the top right and left are sort of... Eh, you're right. Yeah. But we digress... Another thing we have done since the last week, besides come up with cool transmogrify lists, is commune with spirits, not the dead with seance. We did that too. Or the gods. <laughs> but <laughs> just the spirits. This is a, a new card from Neon Kamigawa, green for a sorcery. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an enchantment or land from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library. And so the thesis was this card is really good in decks that play lots of enchantments. Of course. <laughs> you know, not a huge surprise. We had had some, you know, decent results with green-white enchantress lists in Pioneer historically. Yeah. So that went ahead and played on Celestia Mana Blue, which his hypothesis was that community is going to find him ways to get the engine quick, just fast and running. So the engine sort of saying is the Shuka Naturalist, which is the new Celestia enchantment that makes all your enchantments cost one less, two mana two two, with lifelink. And then you have mana bloom and a lot of blossoms. So the plan is simple, get mana bloom, make it mana positive by playing it for one mana, and then you get back the mana on the next turn, and a lot of blossoms working like an enchantress, giving you a free draw every single time. The plan was extremely simple. And it seems that the commune actually has got him what he needed, which was like a way to cement it all together, just digging for the ancient pieces or like the lands you need. I think the fact that commune with spirit gets lands is by far the most important part of it. One mana look for for a land is going to be relevant in a lot of scenarios where you keep just good grinding hands. Yeah, these decks tend to flood out a lot. Um, because once you start training enchantments, you just want to keep drawing enchantments, and every land you draw is a, a blocker to that. Yeah, and you have zero selection. Right. And finally, the, the card he really appreciated was Hallowed Hunting, 
which for anyone that doesn't know it, because it went really, really under the radar, under, under radar when it was first printing, right? I probably remember any discussing, discussion about it. Color Hunting is a 4-man enchantment that reads, as long as you control 7 or more enchantments, creatures you control have flying and vigilance. And whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you create a white spirit cleric creature that has power and toughness equal to the number of spirits you control. So it starts to get out of hand really fast. First enchantment is a 1-1, one, one. second you have two two twos, three you have three six three three threes. That's a tongue twister. And slowly piling up sort of like an Ursa Saga effect, where the more constructs you get, the more spirits you get, the more enchantments you play, the bigger they're gonna get and the faster you're gonna have an amazing clock. And this was David's recommendation to replace Monastery Mentor, which I think seems a lot better and a lot harder to deal with. Yeah, every every card you put in this list that isn't an enchantment has to be like really critically questioned. And so the fact that you get to replace Monastery Mentor with a card with a similar power level that also is resistant to sweepers and is also an enchantment, it's just all upside. And he got a 3 trick in his first league, lost to Asodius Spirits because the deck does not play enough removal. One of the first comments is like he's only playing 2 and um, buffing end and he likely needs at least 4 plus additional removal if it's spirit's gonna be a meta deck. Which makes sense because it doesn't have any of like the lock prison aspects that modern enchantress has or sort of. So you really need a way to stay alive against the Oslot in the early turns. And besides that, um, Dan got a lose to Niv because while they both of them were trading one for one, two for two, one for one, two for ones, Niv eventually just had a man a board on that says refill my hand, while Enchantress does not have access to that. You need like your engine to keep going to exponentially get bigger. If you get like constantly traded one for one before you can get ahead, Nib has the better way of just gaining back everything together. Yeah, if you can aggressively attack the card draw enchantment cards like Sedescent Champion and Idol of Blossoms, uh and keep them off the battlefield, this deck can really struggle to make headway. Everything becomes a one for one after that. That's the biggest issue. Like you don't have yeah. Efficient you don't have two for ones like Express Vitration Wood where even you only need it to resolve. You need them to resolve and then survive for a few turns in order to actually get your thing going. Right. As Dan said, it's an amazing deck for screenshots for every single Patreon. Remember you get access to like to our Google Drive where we discuss we have our whole photos and whatever we played, and the screenshots are just amazing. Like when this deck wins, it wins by a landslide. It doesn't get the thin margin sort of win. You just have like 15, 15, 15 flying vigilance tokens. Yeah, with like 15 cards in hand. <laughs> Sometimes you have to worry that you're going to deck out uh, when you get going. There's always a fear of decking out because you need to keep going in order not to run out of resources. Yeah, and the enchantress effects aren't always, uh, you know, may draw a card. A lot of them are must draw a card. Yeah, Elon of Blossoms is actually draw a card, for example. Yeah. And I'm not sure about... It plays two enchantress effects. It plays Elden of Blossoms, which is when cast, or is it when it enters? So Tessin Champion and Eidolon are both on... They both are mandatory draws. Both are mandatory, are both on, on ETB, not when cast. So that makes it so right. it's even easier to like sort of remove your value before you get going, because you're going to go like see this into a wound and growth. Make sure you get a two for one. Here, with any removal, because it's an ETB, not a cast, you just get shut down immediately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Eidolon's nice because you technically get a two-for-one because it sees itself. Yeah. 
but that's kind of the limits of it. Uh, 3-2 is a solid result for this sort of deck. If this speaks to you, uh, definitely take it for a spin. If it doesn't speak to you, Don't take it for a these Enchantress decks aren't taking over the format uh, before or now. And besides that, we have a new ver- another version of the deck right below by Lurking Evil in our Discord, which is like the aggro version of the deck we just discussed. Dan was playing this very mid-rangey, very Enchantress in nature build where you're just trying to go immensely over the top and just win a really long grinding resource-based game. And below we have the exact opposite. We have an Agro Celestia deck featuring Generous Visitor, which is a 1-mana one 1-1. One, whenever you play, whenever enchantment enters the battlefield, it gets a plus 1-1 one, plus one counter. Harden Scales to make it grow bigger, Commune with Spirits, Oath of Nisa, Michigo's Reign of Truth, which is another pump spell based on enchantments. And then the, the most interesting one is the Kami of Transients. One in green for a 2-2 Trampler. When you cast Enchantment Spell, put a plus one plus one counter on it. So it grows. And then secondly, uh, at the beginning of each end step, if an Enchantment is put into your graveyard from the battlefield this turn, you may return Kami of Transients from your graveyard to your hand. And so it has this recursive aspect while also growing quickly. And if you have a Hardened Scales that it grows even faster still. Yeah, with a Shuka, you can just get amazing turns. Like, just go turn two Shuka into turn three, Kami plus Michigos into like a turn four, just pew out your hand, make it like a 15 15 really easily. If you have hand scales, it's gonna get out of control fast. And the fact, whenever you deal with like the Naturalist or the Michigos Reign of Truth or the Edward of Blossoms, your opponent is gonna get back the Kami to their hand. Means even as an aggro deck, it can get really annoying in order to deal with other threats. Yeah. It's interesting because the, the aggro enchantress deck, if you said this deck, you know, before Neon Kamigawa spoilers came out, I, what, what are you even talking about? <laughs> but all of a sudden we have like a nice package of cards that seem like they're of reasonable power level. It features 20 cards from Kamigawa. That's a lot. That's 30%. Like a third of the deck is Kamigawa. Yeah. So that's a really nice... Actually more, because it has 3 possession to a Gansho. So it's actually 25 cards are from Kamigawa. Yeah. We didn't get any leagues in with this deck, but another league to report on is that David played the Soul Sisters Call deck. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of gloss over this. <laughs> David didn't have the best of times with it. And he said it's likely his worst result in any testing. He went 2 and 9. Sorry, David, to send you out on the river like this. Exposing your disgrace to the world. But... Well, he's he's learning from losses so that <laughs> you, the listener, don't have to. He's making the sacrifice. Nobody could have told you In Search of Greatness was terrible until we did. <laughs> and we told you that based off of our extensive loss of tickets they get incinerated every day we're out there burning tickets <laughs> for the people uh david knows that his spirit sister's call is his record is now at two and nine across three leagues <laughs> so <laughs> worse than in source of greatness ever did for us the worst part is he got a two three in a league so it means he just went oh three oh three two three yeah yeah and that's just devastating yeah, he says the card is just bad. It does less than Teferi 5 at the same mana cost. You have to build your whole deck around it to do anything. <laughs> then in post-war games, people have a ton of graveyard hate because of Phoenix and Grease Fang. Uh, yeah, 
I, I opened this. Uh, I was playing um, Pygow with a friend. I opened this card and I was like, this card is a really bad Pygow card, but isn't it just like a bad card in general? And uh, that was just a hypothesis. Now we have experimental results. I, I love I like, I like, love the concept of the card. Like, it seems really fun to work with and try to break, but it's just so bad. Yeah. It's not even close to playable. But at least, like, the biggest comparison he makes is, like, it's five mana Teferi, just wars. Yeah, which, to be fair, Teferi 5 is an extremely good magic card. Yeah, yeah, we're making a huge comparison, but the thing is, it's a legal card. But still. Yeah, yeah. David also tried, uh, this time, a deck featuring In Search of Greatness and No More Soul Sisters Calls in a Sultai list featuring Commune in... A shell that runs cards like Treacherous Blessing and Omen of the Sea to kind of have like a nice set of enchantments to find while also helping smooth your land drops. Uh, you can also find Binding of the Old Gods uh, or Shark Typhoon hmm. uh, or the Behold the Unspeakable new saga from uh, Kamigawa along with a set of uh, Sultai Planeswalkers in the form of Narsets and Vraskas uh, and some Fatal Pushes. And so this list uh, went two and three. You said the list felt really bad. I mean, did his thing, but it wasn't good enough. Commune was poor, mostly hit lands. Uh, finding enchantment for an extra mana was just clunky. In Search of Greatness continues this record of <laughs> exceedingly mediocre lists. I remember when, when In Search of Greatness was like announced, and I don't know if people misread the card. I don't know what happened. So many people were claiming it's going to be banned. I don't know if anybody else experienced that, or it was like a shortcut in the Matrix. <laughs> but everyone was like, this is going to get banned. This is amazing. This is insane. It was like, did I forget how to read? This looks... It's it's a weird card. When you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to always just go one up the curve every turn. Free mana. This What could be better? And then you like read it and you play with it and it doesn't work the way you think it does. And you realize that your deck's curve doesn't work as cleanly as you thought. And that's just not how magic works. And you scry one a few times and you lose the game. <laughs> and you realize you're playing a really bad set for Ascanta. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, what's funny is David is playing four main deck graveyard trespassers and he beat <laughs> Absent Greasefang and Blue Red Phoenix. Uh, they were caught in the graveyard. <laughs> yeah, so lastly, uh, I played Communal Spirits in Modern in an evolution of our Heartless Summoning, Primeval Titan, Amulet of Vigor, Dried of Legion Grove, Dread Presence list. Yeah, so you went deep into the modern tank. And instead of going for like Enchantress as Dandir, you just went into the completely other side. Right. And this deck this deck can win games. Listen, you have the Valakits and the Dried Elysian Grove and Primeval Titan and Amulet of Vigor, which has been used to win magic games, you know, however many billions of times in the last, you know, number of years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ever since Primeval Titan came out. Uh, it's only gotten better with what it can do. Uh, the list also now with Dread Presence has kind of a backup plan to Dryad where Dread Presence does just needs uh, Urborg to be enabled and there's no real cap on, you don't need, you know, six lands to have it work. And the thing with these lists is that Heartless Summoning is like a key card, but it's, uh, there's only one card like it. There's There's no replacement for it. And so how do you reliably have it? And our, our guess was that maybe Communal Spirits helps us find it on a more reliable basis. 
and then power in turn the rest of the deck. However. Yeah, and the theory kind of makes sense. You know, you have 28 lands, but also it's good to find like a bounce land or, you know, whatever card you're missing. Uh, so I took into the cues, and yeah, it's just a worse amulet titan. I don't know what it is about the dread presences, but the deck just winds up with these hands where there's just a bunch of dread presences and no ramp. Uh, or you have the Amulet of Vigor, but no Bounce Land, and so you're just going Amulet of Vigor turn one, Forest turn two, Ghost Quarter turn three. You know, like it just did, I don't know. The Amulet lists have found ways to become very consistent. Nowadays, they, they use Urza Saga to find amulets reliably. Maybe this was just an Urza Saga deck. Maybe that's what we're missing. Yeah, yeah. But then that's kind of just not really the Dread Presence plan, right? The Dread Presence plan says you're going to play Dread Presence and then just jam creatures uh, every turn. No, Heartless Summoning Plan, you mean. Or sorry, sorry, the Heartless Summoning Plan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Heartless Summoning, just an old staple that we all love. How can you not love Heartless Summoning? It's true. It, it is a fun card. The, there's always a nice gameplay pause when you put it on the stack for the first time in a match. <laughs> Your opponent, you know, they, they think, you know, what are you running? And, and then they have to, like, really, they thought they knew, and now they don't know. <laughs> and all of a sudden you go, okay, I'm going to play one mana Susa, one mana Tracker, double fetch, Ramon Abejavito, go score their goal. And just hope it's enough. Yeah, I played against uh, Andrea Mangucci, actually, uh, in the third round. So maybe you'll find... <laughs> We might find you on streams. Me on the other side of the screen in a YouTube video. Uh, yeah, or a stream VOD. What was, he, what was Mengu on? He was on Blue Red Storm, and it was just... It was it was not close. Oh! Wait, I think I, I think you are actually on the video, because I think if I will... Oh, good for him. So, we might... <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta find out if we can find Daemon. Playing... Yeah, th- this list... Didn't put up much of a fight. In, in game one, he he went Baral on turn three into Remandier Primeval Titan into Cabo turn four. And then game two, this deck just sometimes it just sits there for a while and doesn't really get anywhere. And stumbles enough, your opponent might just get in there somehow. Right, right. Um, yeah, I lost to Black Green Yogmoth where they combo reliably around turn three to turn four. This deck does not combo reliably around turn three or turn four. And we don't have enough interaction to actually stop that consistently. Yeah. Uh, I beat Green-White Scales in an interesting match, partly due to a culling ritual out of the side. That was a fun card to cast. Uh, I lost to Bogles, and I lost to Four-Color Blink, where I think I misplayed in a critical way that I maybe could have won. But... It was like a four-color blink variant that was Court of Calling with Eldamri's Call, one of those variants. And, you know, game one, I won in a grindy fashion. In game two, they go EOT, Eldamri's Call, Magus of the Moon. I just look. Yeah, they're playing like two Eldamri's for practically only Pitch Elementals, Magus of the Moon, and the Sideboard 13 Mana Emrakul because it's just amazing as a Mirror Breaker. Yeah. Like, you just cast that on a Mirror and win. So you just got Magus out of the four-color deck. Gotta love mana bases nowadays. Yeah. So that that was this list. I wouldn't recommend it. Communal Spirits, it kind of did its job. It can find Dryad. It can find Heartless Summoning. It can find your land drops. But it can't really do these things reliably. It only looks four deep. I'm not even sure that we should be casting Heartless Summoning in the first place in this list. <laughs> you know, instead of Communal Spirits, you can just play Urza Saga to find Amulet of Vigor, which is the other way to ramp into Primeval Titan. And it's probably better. This can grab Ursa Saga because it's both an and enchantment. You can get like double saga. Right. Right. There, there's a lot to, to like about the, the Amulet Titan build, uh, the kind of core list. 
But quickly, going back to the blink list, do is there like a best blink list right now, or is it kind of just wide open with the Luris ban? You're one of the you know experts in this archetype. Like it's sort of stopped being a blink list, sadly. Like it's not even playing an FM right now. Like some players are running one. If they are running a lamp, it's called they have like one FM, one witness. But I think what people have side, like sort of decided on is two or three channel lands, wandering emperor, and then you just go. Your only creatures become Omnath, Solitude, Fury, and you're you and you're either playing three Coatles or three March of the Otherworldly Lights. So you have like only removal, no blink effects, and you just rely on the four Ragavans to carry on the early game. Really, because I've been seeing in the queues more the decks that are going more to the the blink routes that are playing more Eldarmory's Calls, more Ephemerates, Court of Calling, Restoration Angel, Wall of Blossoms, these type of cards, but also featuring Urian and Omnaths and Abundant Growths. Yeah, the Kurusu piles with Court of Calling and such. I think those are the most fun. However, I think the most competitive one is just playing a removal pile alongside Omnath and Ragavan. Got it. So basically similar to the finalized list pre-ban, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's just sticking in there for now. Like, people are innovating because the format, of course, is switching. And now that less people are on Lurus decks, or like Shadow, Ragavan has learned a lot of interest because people are playing more grindy games and Ragavan is a really bad top deck. So I would really rather have an, an Eternal Witness over a Ragavan if I'm playing against Shan three times in a row, right? Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about... Canisters like elemental risen reef style build. I, I made a meme that I published on Twitter. Like for the Folklore Midrange pile came as a sort of mutation on Prison Reef Elementals, right? Like a lot of months ago, people were only playing elementals. Like it was the deck of the moment. And it was Martinez DP that just said, Why are we not like playing an actual four color pile, right? Instead of why are we playing elementals where we can just play good cards and the good elementals? And I remember the myth, the meme of like um, Drake going like no on the recent riff and yes on the uh, expressive iteration back on like October or September. And I still agree on that feeling that I think recent riff is a trap. Like it's a dream of getting as much value as you can. Here I found it. October 4th. Is when I first posted a meme saying that exactly. <laughs> Recently, I think it's a trap compared to expressive iteration. Like, I think going on the elemental route is like better on the dream scenario, but it's a lot worse when you have to like play against other stuff. Like, if I'm playing against combo, if I'm playing against control, against a lot of stuff, I would rather just have my consistent cards, like my solid two for ones. Yeah, every time you see the Risen Reef get like pinged by a run in six, <laughs> it always looks a little sad. Yeah, or you just go on top deck mode and like top deck recently, and I'm like, mm, I don't know if this is what I want. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's going to be a wrap on this episode. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back next Friday. Yeah. Bye bye, everyone. Have a nice night. Bye. That's a wrap on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Tune in next week for our testing results. And download the latest deck lists at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you like what we do, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. 
That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.